It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, author Wendy Mass. Hi, Wendy. Hi, how are you? Great. I want to tell you how I learned about you. I was taking my kids to the library all the time, and I kept thinking, wow, they're getting the same author. <laughs> this <laughs> book and that book. And um, they would share the books, and they would talk about them. And finally, I said, what are you reading? And uh, they're huge fans. And if it wasn't for the fact my daughter has school, she probably would have wanted to interview you herself. Oh, that's so nice. Well, please give them big hugs for me and tell them I appreciate them. How did you become uh, this author, very successful author? Um, well, that is very kind of you to say. <laughs> I guess, you know, I always wanted to write. So ever since I was probably in third grade, I was writing short stories, and they would get longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time high school rolled around, they were sort of these mini novellas, and I was writing my friend's college essay applications. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although now it's almost time for my own kids to be there in a few years, and I'm thinking they're going to have to write their own. Yes. But um, <laughs> so then I went off to college and studied, you know, language arts and really the classics, and really tried to learn, you know, what made books stick around for a long period of time. Why mm-hmm. were we reading some of these books hundreds of years later, and and what still made them relevant, and kind of the importance of putting like these deeper themes into a book that just sort of in between the lines. And so when I really sat down after school, after college to think, you know, what do I want to do? I knew it would be something in writing. And then it just took a few more years to focus on writing for kids and teenagers. Um, And really, that's where, you know, that was the time in my life when books meant the most to me. I mean, they still mean Mm -hmm. a ton, but there's something special about the relationship you have with books when you're, you know, between third grade and eighth grade and trying to figure out who you want to be and what it's all about and what your purpose is. Oh, sure. So I was really drawn to that sort of genre. Let me just share with the listeners that uh, you're a New York Times bestselling author of 24 novels for young people, which have been translated into 22 languages and nominated for 77 state book awards, including A Mango-Shaped Space, which was awarded the Schneider Family Book Award by the American Library Association, Leap Day, the Twice Upon a Time Fairy Tale series, Every Soul a Star, Eleven Birthdays, I love that one, uh, Heaven mm-hmm. Looks a Lot Like Them All, Jeremy Fink and The Meaning of Life, and finally, The Candy Makers and Thirteen Gifts. Are you amazed? I mean, how did these stories <laughs> all come together? That's a lot. I I do sometimes sit down and, and try to figure out how I wrote 24 books in 15 years, because the first one... A Mango-Shaped Face that you mentioned Mm -hmm. was my first book. It came out 15 years ago, like, last week. So it just had its big anniversary, and I'm like, how did I do this and and raise kids and and all of that other good stuff. And I think it's just, I I must not sleep very much. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure. I mean, some of the books are shorter than others. They're for, you know, young readers, like the beginning readers, more like first to third grade. I have a few series that... um, kind of target that age group where you're just learning to read on your own and it's, you know, everything is new and it's so exciting to see them picking out their own books and being able to read them. So I wanted to try writing for that age. So that's been a lot of fun. So those are shorter. So those might take a few months to write right. versus some of my longer ones, which require a lot of research. They're, they're closer to like a year, year and a half. So I kind of really just finish one and tell myself I'm going to take a break, and then two days later, 
I'm starting the next one. I was going to say, where do you get your inspiration from? Is it real life? Is it um, a blend of things that just come to you? How does it work? Um, mostly, I would say I kind of weave my stories around things that interest me because I figure it needs to interest me and, and hold my attention if I'm going to do research on a topic for months and really dive into it. Even though, even though it's fiction, I kind of put a lot of real things in the books, whether it's science or in the case of uh, my book, The Candy Makers, it's about making candy. But whatever it is, it's something that, that I need to be fascinated about. And then the goal is to kind of write about it with enough passion that it would interest the young reader as well. Usually it's from me being out in the world and seeing something and thinking that could make a good story. Here, here's a question. I just I uh-huh. got one from my daughter, actually. <laughs> How did you get the idea for the Willow Falls series? So the Willow Falls series is, um, is a series of five books mm-hmm. and starts with this book called Eleven Birthdays about these two kids who are stuck in their 11th birthday. So every day they wake up and they're turning 11 and nobody understands what's going on except for them. So they have to figure out why it's happening to them and in order to make it stop. And at that time, I, re- I really wanted to write a time travel book. I love reading books about time travel, but I felt like I wanted to do something a little different. So instead of having them travel through time, I had them stuck in time. And Ooh. then I wanted to just weave this really kind of different explanation for why it was happening to them. Mm-hmm. And that just sort of spawned the rest of this series about this quaint little magical town called Willow Falls. So that's where it came from. Now, for people that are writers, and I'm a, I'm a writer, aspiring writer, I, I had something happen to me years ago that was made me so sad. I lost a pet, but I found the pet to be so interesting with all um, of his little quirky behaviors, love of ice cream uh-huh. and eating spaghetti and bouncing off the walls. <laughs> and, and so I wrote about this as part of like a grieving process, mm-hmm. uh, and I called it Curly's Tale, and I kind of put it aside because the publishing world is very, very challenging, as you know. What was it like when you got your first publishing deal for your very first book? Well, that deal for a mango-shaped space, which is about um, a pet getting sick and mm-hmm. was actually inspired by an incident that had happened to me, and most of my books aren't. That wow. is like a really rare um, thing that I did based something on my real life mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of the importance of, of what happens if, you're, if you lose a pet and, and how painful it could be and everyone goes through it. Yes. And there just didn't seem to be enough written about it. So I think that's awesome that you wrote that. And you're not an aspiring writer. You might be an aspiring published writer or somebody might be an aspiring published writer, but anyone who writes is a writer. I really believe that. I like so whether that. it's a second grader sitting there, you know, scribbling in their composition notebook in school, writing a story about, you know, rainbows and whatever mm-hmm. it is, that's coming from their heart and they're a writer. And so when I go to schools, I really try to impress that upon them that every day they're just going to get better at it. And so when my first book was published, it came on the heels of 49 rejection letters. Whoa. So, yeah, and I have them all um, put together in this roll. So it sort of looks like a paper towel roll <laughs> that the kids will like extend from one end of the stage to the other in the auditorium and it. It, goes, it fills the whole room and it really kind of I hope shows the importance of, of persevering when something really matters to you but if, if I was doing that now yes at some point 
in that process, I probably would have um, stopped and self-published it, you know, through Amazon or one of the online formats because they make you know, you're still getting your words out there, right? And you could hire would have hired a freelance editor to help me edit it because that's such an important stage in the process that yes. I didn't want to bypass. And then you can have a beautiful looking book at the end of the day in a print on demand or an ebook. So I don't know if I would have gone through forty nine you know, rejections. 49. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because I, I don't think I would have felt it was necessary to right. Well, uh, the name of my show is Get the Funk Out, and I always find it really intriguing when I ask people, how do you stay positive through the ups and downs of, uh, you know, personal issues, uh, professional issues? How did you stay positive after the 10th, 20th, 30th, 40th rejection? How did you know, like, you know what, I'm not going to listen, I'm going to keep going. I know there's a publisher out there for me. Well, I was young, for one thing, <laughs> and with youth, I think, comes the idea that you have a lot of time mm-hmm. in the future. So um, what I did was I really worked on other stories while I was That's great. sending that one back out over and over again. And, you know, the first probably 15 or 18 rejections were from agents because, mm-hmm. you know, the first step is, is getting a literary agent to sign you, and so after that happened, then... She would send it out and report back to me and send me a copy of the letter with a little note on the bottom, like where it was being sent next. Mm-hmm. And so it was, at that point, it was it was great because I felt like I had a partner in it with me. Yes. So that helped. And I really just kept writing. I went back to graduate school and worked on another book as my dissertation, um, which became which became my second book that came that was published called Leap Day. So those are kind of the things I did to try to keep busy and that's important not so much focused <laughs> yeah and yeah go ahead now just you know when you start a career you've done a little homework before in terms of you know what to expect um any career that you want you know what kind of degree you might need or where you might need to live in the country or something like that and i knew that to try to publish a children's book i would get rejection letters mm-hmm. and so i think i learned pretty early on not to take it personally so I think that's great. And um, I, I always share with um, my, my guests who are writers that I had a great teacher when I was in 10th grade, uh, Mrs. Katie, and she said, um, write about what it's like to be in a glass of water. And we all looked at her like, are you out of your mind? Huh. And she said, no, no, there are no wrong answers. And I want you to understand with creative writing, there are no wrong answers. Whatever you feel, whatever you think, that's, that's fine. Put that on paper. And... It's very inspiring to hear you talk about the different types of writing um, because, you know, we get discouraged. We think, oh, it's so hard. I'll just write this thing. Like my story, I'll just put it aside. But it's very encouraging. Good. Well, uh, and the idea of, of what she said about, you know, it really translates to me is that it's, that it's very subjective, mm-hmm. that it's hard. You know, no one really should have to judge somebody else's writing. They, they either like it appeals to them or it doesn't appeal to them. Right. And I remember in college taking different creative writing classes and handing in a short story in one class and getting an A and thinking, wow, I got an A on this. That's a good story. I'm going to hand it in again in another class. So 
So I handed it in again in another class. I don't even think I changed a word. <laughs> and this is probably not um, good for your listening audience. But, <laughs> so don't do this. Although maybe you can plagiarize from yourself. I don't know. Oh, no. But, um, but so I, <laughs> I handed it in again, and I got a C from a different teacher. Oh, my gosh. And it really, after being, you know, a little bit annoyed and not quite sure how to handle this mm-hmm. at, you know, 19, um, it really taught me the lesson of, of that not everyone's going to like everything you do, and that that also helps. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite or a couple favorite books that you've written that you finished and you thought, wow, that was so much fun, or I don't know, you found something different about yourself as a result of writing that book? Well, I, I have one book. I have a book called Jeremy Fink and the Meaning of Life, mm-hmm. and I think that book was kind of a turning point for me in terms of, writing about things that that I really wanted the reader to feel at the end of the day they carried with them. Mm-hmm. So when I sat down to write it, I really had to learn all these different meanings of life from different viewpoints. So I spoke to people on the street. I spoke to rabbis and priests and scientists and teachers and old people and kids and really put a lot of um, philosophy into that book and kind of learned how you can put those kinds of themes in and also make it a fun and funny kind of adventure. So I think I would say that one probably. Now I wanna I wanna jump in and talk about your latest book, Bob. How did you come up with this idea? So Bob is co written with the wonderful Rebecca Stead, who won the Newbery Medal a few years ago for When You Reach Me. Mm-hmm. And she and I had met about a decade ago and decided wouldn't it be fun to write a story together one day and so it took many years to find what that story would be and about seven years ago she was on a flight home from Australia a long flight and just dashed off this one chapter about well I'll tell you what's that minute and so she dashed off this one chapter and emailed it to me and said I don't know if this is anything but see what you think and at the end she had you know she introduced her character and at the end introduced who would become my character. Okay. And so I then wrote the second chapter and sent it back, and she wrote the third and sent it back, and it went like that for seven years. Seven so, years? Seven years. <laughs> and so it's, the book is about this girl named Livy, Olivia, Livy for short, who's about ten and a half years old, and she goes to visit her grandmother in Australia, where she hasn't been in five years. And she doesn't remember anything about the experience. She remembers her grandmother because they've been Skyping back and forth, and um, Lizzie lives here uh, in Massachusetts, actually. Mm-hmm. And so she hasn't been there in all this time, so she doesn't remember the house at all. Um, and as she's kind of walking through the house, she kind of gets this feeling that she might have left something really important behind when she was there five years earlier, the one time she had visited. Okay. And so she goes up to the room where she stayed last time, which was her mom's old room growing up, and is sort of drawn towards the closet and opens the closet door and finds this small green creature in this ill-fitting chicken outfit <laughs> um, standing on top of the dictionary, like, rubbing his eyes, like, where have you been? Wow. And so that turns out to be Bob. And so the book is really about the two of them figuring out why don't they, you know, why didn't she remember him? Because he's pretty unforgettable. Right. And how are they going to get him home? And really, it, it played with the idea of the powerful sort of sense of confidence you have when you're five mm-hmm. and, and how 
strong Livy was at five and how she was determined to get him, Bob home. And then when she gets back and she's 10 and she's lost that. And it's, so it's sort of about trying to convey to readers that, that you're still powerful, that you still carry that five-year-old and eight-year-old and nine-year-old inside of you and kind of not to let that go. Well, that's really what we circled around. I like that. I mean, I, I love that whole idea because we think we're we're old. You know, as adults, we can't do the things we used to do or we used to like to do. And I like the fearlessness and the creativity of kids. I agree. You know? Yep. Uh-huh. What, what is something that people would be surprised to know about you? Maybe something you like to do besides writing? Well, I, I do have an sort of unusual hobby, uh, especially, I guess, for a woman because they're underrepresented in this field, of um, magic. I have a closet full of magic tricks. So some people have um, (laughs) shoes or purses in their closet. (laughs) I have rows and rows of magic tricks. And I love watching magicians perform and I take classes. And sometimes if I'm at a school visit and I'm just tired of talking about myself, I'm like, let's show a magic trick. That is great. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really fun. You you have this endless imagination, which is great. Well, I hope so. I hope I don't run out of ideas. No, I think um, as, as a writer and a successful writer, you, you know, I feel like wherever you are, you can things just come to you, and then you kind of open the, your imagination to the possibilities. Well, I think that, that writers do keep their eyes and ears open in a way that that is helpful mm-hmm. and you are kind of always thinking of what can you weave into a story or someone might tell me something and I'll tell them you know, I'm going to steal that and then I'll write it in my in my writer's notebook which I've, I've kept notebooks since I was 12 Ooh. and I still still go back to some of those old ones or ideas mm-hmm. I'll pull from different ages and and so I think that helps the idea of just always keeping your eyes out for a story any advice you would give people that are writers well, definitely keep that writer's notebook. And, I mean, if they're anything like me, you know, I will forget an idea the second I walk away from where I was sitting. Mm-hmm. And, like, the other day I woke up and I never, ever dream stories or anything like that. I've never done anything like it. But I woke up with this entire idea for a picture book. And I haven't written picture books before. Okay. So this entire, like, middle beginning, middle end of this picture book. And by the time I got downstairs for breakfast, it was gone. It just flew out of my head. Oh, so for no. years, I've been telling people, make sure you write down your idea as soon as you get it. And I didn't take my own advice, and it was gone. And I spent days trying to recreate it, and it's just gone. Oh. But So that's my first bit of advice. Write things down. And really just to remember that ideas aren't as hard to come by as people might think. Like, really, they're from pretty much three places, your experiences. So keeping a journal or a notebook will help you recall those things. Mm-hmm. Um, observation is where you're walking around, kind of keeping your eyes and ears open for conversations you might overhear, interesting outfits someone's wearing, obviously something you see that, that excites you, and really then your imagination and, and tying those two things together. So those are pretty much, if I keep that in mind, I can pretty much come up with something. I want to mention your website before we wrap up. It's Wendy Mass. W-E-N-D-Y-M-A-S-S dot com. And uh, anything else you'd like people to know about you? I guess just if, you know, I could get through 
49 rejection letters and still <laughs> make this my career, then they can too, whether it's, you know, writing or something else in the arts or something else entirely, you know, not career-based. Mm-hmm. And I think doing that really reminds you that you have to listen to what's in your heart and not to what other people are telling you, what your parents might be saying. I mean, I know my parents wanted me to have a job with a, you know, dental plan and, <laughs> and a steady paycheck at the end of the week. So they might not have been the biggest cheerleaders at that stage where I was just kind of sure. floundering and sending books out all the time. Mm-hmm. So you really have to just stay, stay strong to your own voice. And have uh, some other hint- interests to keep you, you know, positive. Like for you, it's magic. Yeah, absolutely. And I also have um, started doing geocaching. What is that? Have you done that? No. Geocaching. Oh, you have to go do it with your kids. It's okay. so much fun. Geocaching. Um, geocaching is where it's, they kind of joke and call it using billions of dollars of, of high-tech GPS equipment to find Tupperware hidden in the woods. Because <laughs> essentially you're taking, like it's a free app um, that you get, the geocaching app. Okay. And then you basically use it to help you find anywhere in the world boxes or small types of shaped boxes or different things like that that people hide okay. all around the world and there might be little trinkets inside or a little tag that you you know log in and then it travels from one to the next and it's just so much fun so anywhere we are anywhere we'll just put, you know pull up the app you you choose find nearby geocaches okay and you're off and running I just pulled it up while we were on the, while we were talking. Uh, Geocaching.com. Yep. I'm going to have to read up on this now. Yeah, you can also look at the website to show you. That's an easy way to just see it first, where exactly where you are mm-hmm. and what's close to you, because it'll pull up your um, location automatically if you let it. And if you're planning a road trip, you can plan ahead of time. You, you plan the route and you plug that in, and it'll show you what caches are coming up. Um, on your route. Fantastic. Wendy, thank you so much. This has been great. My pleasure. Thank you. And just as an example, I've been stuck geocaching in one of my books in the sequel to The Candy Makers. They, a geocaching place, this sort of pivotal plot twist. So just an example of putting the things you love into your stories. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for calling in. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me, me as well. All Thank right. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. That was Wendy Mass calling in to talk about her latest book, Bob, and lots more, her road to becoming a writer, very successful writer, by the way. And again, if you missed any part of this, uh, we'll be out on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. You can uh, find out more about Wendy by visiting Wendy Mass. That's Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y-M-A-S-S dot com. And uh, what else? Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. You have been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.